Welcome back to the next episode of Ranked. We're here to pull up some arbitrary list, of either movies or television, whatever it is we decide to throw on a list here. And of course, I have a very special guest, a real Harry Potter stan, and that is going to be Sophia Planos. How are you doing today? Uh, doing pretty good. Happy Sunday. I'm really glad to be here. I haven't really done a podcast in a while, so it's going to be fun. I haven't had the chance to talk about Harry Potter, so this is going to be, uh, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, a perfect excuse to uh, talk about the Wizarding World. What was really your experience growing up with Harry Potter? Obviously, you've probably seen these films a bunch, but like, what was really your first experience with the Wizarding World? That's a great question. So uh, I actually got the books uh, when I was very small. Not small. I was younger, and I never read them. I have them in my bookcase, and I've, I've not picked them up to read them yet. But then the first couple movies started to come out, and I think uh, I watched the first four growing up, and I loved the movies. I mean, I was scared to death on some scenes for some of the movies because I was a scared, scared kid. I got scared easily. But I, I started watching them. You know, I grew up with the first four, and then I kind of stopped watching them for some reason. And when the last one came out, my friend was like, hey, Sophie, we got to watch this. And I was like, I mean, yeah, I will, but I, I don't know what happens after Goblet of Fire, so I'm, you're going to have to catch me up. So I go to the movies, and I see Deathly Hallows Part 2. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing, but I feel like I've missed a ton of stuff. So I go back, and I watch the whole, uh, I like marathon them all. And that's when I, I think in 2011 is when Deathly Hallows Part 2 was released, that I started watching all of them every single year. So I've been marathoning them since 2011, and I never get tired of them. It's, it's something super nostalgic to me, and uh, maybe one day I'll read the books. <laughs> I feel bad for saying I've never read the books, but I really like the movie. And I feel if I read the books, the movies won't be as good anymore. So there's that. <laughs> That's a good reason, you know, don't want to tarnish the legacy of the films. Um, I haven't read the books since, I've read them once, I believe it was between the fifth and sixth film, uh, between Order of the Phoenix and the Half-Blood Prince, I think that's when I binged all yeah. the books, uh, but I haven't read them since, I think I've read them all once, I loved them as a kid, but uh, the movies uh, were definitely the ones that I was more into, I've, I've seen, I think there's something about the first four, maybe it's because they're more lighthearted, or maybe there was bit of a gap between the fourth and fifth movie but i feel like everyone has seen the first four and then maybe they teetered off after the next four but yeah i remember specifically re-watching the first four tons of times i think i had them all in dvd um i specifically remember the uh the the marauders map menu screen of the third movie like i i vividly remember those oh, first yeah. four that one was really cool. I remember that. I remember just having it on the TV screen. I didn't press play. I would just watch the title screen because it was so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember the third DVD was awesome. So, yeah, I don't know what it was about the first four. I watched those ones a lot. The other four I may have seen less of. I probably watched them maybe three times now. Not too sure. I, the part two I watched twice. I watched it when it came out in 2011. I never watched Harry Potter for the last 10 years. And then I watched them all... A month ago so i finally revisited part two after years of never watching the harry potter movies i don't wow. know why I took a i took a decade break i guess i was trying to watch new <sighs> movies but yeah which is completely fair i totally understand that it's just 
not everything is about Harry Potter. So. Yeah, but it was kind of a great nostalgia road going back to watch them all last month. Uh, I, it's been oh, a while since sure. I've seen them all. I feel like a little kid when I watch them. It just it, it gives me such joy. Yeah, I was telling this to my brother because I we did a Harry Potter podcast before this one. I did like a little Harry Potter month for this, but I was telling him that this is kind of like the MCU for our generation. Like, I feel like the '90s kids had Harry Potter in the 2000s, and we all loved it. And then the kids of the 2000s have the MCU, and they love it. And it really was yeah. kind of like the big franchise of the 2000s. It really was. And I guess lucky for me, I, both of them are nostalgic for me, even though the MCU is still going on. I still feel a lot of nostalgia for like the early MCU movies. They kind of go hand in hand with me, but for me, I, but the Harry Potter ones are truly like, that's like my childhood right. before I was a teenager. That's, that's what I grew up on. Right, exactly. Yeah, and we all love the MCU, but I really feel like um, like we really grew up with the Harry Potter films. We kind of have a special nostalgia for the Harry Potter. Maybe, uh, I think my younger brother, who is 10 years younger than me, he has like a specific nostalgia for the MCU. Uh, it's just magical about growing up with something and really loving it so much that no matter how many times you revisit it, it's still magical, which I guess is the perfect term exactly. for Harry Potter. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is. And a lot of it has to do with the music. And I guess we'll get to that when we start talking about the movies. <laughs> exactly. Which we can do right away here. So we have eight Harry Potter films that did come out over the course of the 2000s. We've uh, ranked them all into our own little list here. And we can... Go right off the bat here with the film that we deem to be the worst of the eight. You know, as worse as it can be. It's still great. And that is going like to... Like its least favorite. <laughs> exactly, yeah. The, the one that maybe we'll throw on the least amount of times. Or, uh, you know, maybe not love as much. But, you know, it's still incredible. Obviously, a uh, quick little side note. We don't have any of the Fantastic Beast movies here. Because uh, we, we just want to talk about the good movies. I, we don't really need to talk about, you know, the, the, the Fantastic Beasts and Newt and stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's not, if Harry Potter is not there, we're out. But we'll yeah. kick off the list here. At number eight, we have the Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. So Yeah, yeah I, I, ex I expected this to be on the low, low end, I guess, because it's a... Um, do you want to start us off on this one, or should I take it away? Oh, we can take it away, but I'll quickly just say uh, where we both had this place. We both had this in eighth place, so we both agree that this was the lowest. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say anything. Well, I'm not going to say anything bad. I, I like this movie a lot. It's actually grown on me the past couple years. But in, if you look at it in comparison in all the eight films, it is my least favorite of them all because it's one that, you know, you kind of have like a very boring, not boring, but it's, it, there's a lot going on in the, um, in the middle that's kind of just like nothing. <laughs> it's the one that I say, it's like, this is the one where Harry Potter goes camping. <laughs> it is. But yeah. it's necessary to the story, which is fine. Personally, I love the, 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 the first 30 minutes of this movie and the last 30 minutes of this movie. In the middle, I honestly could just skip it and still be fine. Uh, I would also say that I, uh, this probably has one of the weakest uh, film scores of all of them. 
I think it's what they, they, they brought in Alexandre Desplat to um, compose this, and this is his first Harry Potter movie, and he did okay. It's fine. It's not amazing. He did much better in part two, but we'll get to that later. And I think that the fact that they decided to split it into two movies also kind of makes it seem like, oh, part one's just a setup for part two, and it has that effect on this movie. So that's a kind of um, big reason why I have it at number eight and why it's that low. But now to the positives. I guess I've already talked about the positives. And I tend to ramble a lot, so you can stop me whenever I'm talking too much. (laughs) Oh, no, no, I love it. But uh, I really like, I guess we're focused more on um, Harry, Hermione, and Ron in this one. And I really like how we get that character growth and development from these three characters that, I mean, we've learned to love and, and grown with throughout these past eight movies. And then this one we get some solo time with them which we haven't gotten in a while and it's interesting to see that dynamic while they while they search for horcruxes and and whatnot and that and the effect that they have on you know you know Voldemort coming back for them and you know all that stuff but yeah I find it interesting again it the slow pace in the middle really really it it takes some points off there on the board for me and uh, I'm not super into it a lot of people tend to like it for me, it's just, it's fine. Uh, I feel like maybe the book, or having read the books, may, maybe maybe that would change, but for me, it's just, uh, eh, it's fine. It's whatever. <laughs> I'm going to let you talk now. Maybe you have some points, and I'll, I kind of agree with you on them. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, I think the biggest issue of this movie is obviously, you can look at the title right away. It, it's a part one. This is the only Harry Potter story that's not a complete story. It's all build-up, which is great, especially because I think part two is fantastic, but it has to take a lot of the brunt work of this of these two films by just setting up the stones that they obviously knock out of the park. But it's still a part one. This is still like the only one that I finish, and I go, okay, I'm not satisfied. Harry Potter didn't do any epic wizarding stuff there's no grand finale with all these great characters and that's probably a knock for it as well that my favorite part of the harry potter movies you know isn't even harry potter harry potter's cool i like the guy Uh, it's not even ron and hermione it's all of these side characters i'm obsessed Mm -hmm. with dumbledore and snape and mcgonagall i'm obsessed with neville and malfoy and you know you get malfoy a little bit you get dobby you get you get a few characters sprinkled in between, but it's mostly the core three, and it's mostly in a stupid forest. It's mostly not (laughs) in a wizarding world. This is called the wizarding world of Harry Potter, not the mundane world of Harry Potter. There is no Triwizard Tournament. There is no goblins or dragons or anything of that sort, you know, except for like a few little scenes where they're flicking their wands with the magic. There's no grand Hogwarts. This is the only time we don't see Hogwarts. And so this film really feels like a Fantastic Beast movie with the core <laughs> three, right? Like it feels like it's the, the, the three characters that we love doing the Fantastic Beast bit where they're kind of just in the muggle world. And that's not what I want to see. I can watch any other movie and they're in the muggle world. In Harry Potter movies, I want to see the castle. I want to see... The magic, the, the the excitement, the childhood wonder, and this is the only one that I don't have that. I don't 
get giddy when I watch this movie. This one is very much like a slow setup for a fantastic part two, but yeah, th this one, and the reason why it's probably eight for me is, yeah, it's just, it's not magical. It's the, it's the only one that I don't get that excitement. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I do find it interesting that they attempted to, you know, kind of veer away towards the Wizarding World to, like, put, you know, the, the trio outside of their comfort zone. And I thought that was interesting. I was like, oh, okay, I'm excited to see where this goes. But they kind of don't really do some, anything exciting with it besides when they kind of uh, port key into London in the middle of, like, they're about to get run, uh, run over by a bus. And I like their... I like when they go into the Ministry of Magic as different people. That was really fun. Mm -hmm. uh, but after that, the forest scene, they could have chosen a better location for that. That was kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. But I totally, I, I totally understand. I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, a part one. I don't know what else to say. It's just a great, it's a great setup for part two, which is the better of the two movies. And I guess we'll get to that. I'm excited to see where, where our two lists uh, placed the movie, so. Yeah, so we can move on to number seven here, and it's going to be another one of the later Harry Potter films, and that is Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. You have it at seven, and I have it at five, so you're right on the money once again. Interesting. Okay. Well, I, you probably like this one more than I do, but that's to say I still like this one a lot, too. It's, it's grown on me over the years. But it's also one I didn't grow up with. Like, I watched it more recently than, I guess, the first four, like I mentioned before. But we'll get into this one. Um, this one, it has a very dark tone for such a romantic comedy vibe. <laughs> it's weird. There's, there's two different vibes going for it, and it, I feel like sometimes it doesn't know which one it's going to be. Because you've got that rom-com, lighthearted, you know, raging hormone teenage vibe to it. And then you also have you know, the Malfoy part of it where he's like all depressed and he has to do all these things. And then you've got, you know, Harry focused on, you know, with Dumbledore trying to find, <laughs> I forget what they're, oh yeah, I know the Horcruxes are trying, you know, through Professor Slughorn, you know, trying to get information out of him to defeat Voldemort, all this stuff. So it's got a lot of different tones and some scenes shift in tone and Honestly, sometimes I just feel like it just jumps all over the place, which is fine, but it's, it's, I feel like this was a difficult book to adapt into a film, which uh, it tries, and I like it a lot, but it does seem a little all over the place for me. I'm going to switch on to the positives here and say that I love the rom-com vibe of it. I love the whole uh, Hermione and Ron, you know, the jealousy between them when Ron gets that uh, girlfriend. I think her, uh, I forgot her name, Lavender or something like that. Nah, who knows? Oh, I love that, that, little, that little dynamic. That, it's so cute. <laughs> I think it's adorable. And then Harry is, uh, I think he's getting over, this is after Order of Phoenix, so he's kind of pursuing Ginny at this point, but... You know, Ginny has that, uh, I think, dating Dean Thomas. And it's just, you get me. It's got like that 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 weird, uh, quirky rom-com vibe to it. But it's also got this like dark undertones to it because it's still a Harry Potter movie and Voldemort is still out there and they're trying to find him. Yeah, I have it at seven because I like all the others better than this one. But this is still a, a good one. 
Oh, and it also has a, a lot of Snape. I like it. The Snape, Snape bits are good. I think this is... I don't remember if it's Order of Phoenix or Half-Blood Prince where um, Snape begins to train Harry Potter in kind of calming his mind so that the Dark Lord can't, like, see through it or something like that. Do you remember if it was Order of Phoenix or this one? Good question. I believe it was this one. Okay, I like those scenes a lot. I thought those were really good. I, I really like any scene with Snape and uh, Harry because it's just... When you, when you don't know the ending, you're like, oh, I hate Snape, but there's something weirdly likable about him. And then when you get scenes with Snape and Harry together, knowing what, you know, what Snape knows and why he protects Harry and loves Harry, it's just, it means so much more. So I really like those scenes. And I like the, we learn about the Horcruxes in this, uh, in this, uh, in this movie. It just kind of just takes a whole 180 and you're like, whoa, dark piece <laughs> yeah. of magic. Now, shit's getting real. <laughs> Yeah, they introduced a pretty major plot line to, like, the last three movies in this one, which is pretty funny. Yeah, and I guess I'm a minority in this, but in the end, when Snape kind of just uh, tells Harry, like, you dare use my own spells against me or something like that, yeah. and then he says, he reveals that he's the half-foot prince, I thought that was so cheesy. I was like, really? You could have you set this up way better. I thought this was so weird. I, I mean, when I first watched it, I was like, wow, oh my gosh. Yeah. But then rewatching, it's like, this is, this is anticlimactic. <laughs> I really like that scene, but I don't understand the, the Half-Blood Prince thing. Like, it, it kind of has no weight. I mean, that's why it might feel cheesy to you. And it kind of almost feels pointless to me. What happens now that he's the Half-Blood Prince? Does some grand thing turn up in the last two movies that I'm not aware of? Like, him being the Half-Blood Prince, which is the title of the movie. What, what, yeah. what does that have to do with the whole story? It was just a little bit. Yeah, it was just something for that movie. And I honestly wish they built up more to it because it just felt like, oh, okay, that's the end of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the one where they kill Dumbledore, and I forgot to mention that. And it's very sad, and uh, I cried. <laughs> I also forgot to mention that we got a really good cave scene uh, with uh, Dumbledore and Harry where yeah. they try to look for that Horcrux and that's such an epic scene probably one of my favorite scenes because they take us away from the wizarding world yet still maintain the magical elements of the wizarding world to this weird cave and unlocation that we haven't really been taken to before so I really liked that scene and we see something like again I really like the uh, dynamic between Dumbledore and Harry because we get them together and you get Dumbledore suffering here because he's doing something for Harry and you know trying to get these horcruxes and oh it's it's intense but it's really good I really like that cave scene and the music the music in this one's very good uh it's a, a lot more sad again it's got a very cha change in uh, tone here with the, the sadness the darkness the comedy because <laughs> it's so, some of it's very funny too when he drinks the luck potion i think it's this one yeah. that was that's a good scene <laughs> yeah i think the cave scene is exactly what part one should have been trying to aim at where they're not in the castle but they're still and they're in a relatively normal place just a cave but it still feels magical it still feels like anything yeah. could happen in here uh, i thought the cave scene was awesome for me, The Half-Blood Prince is really good. I, I really like this movie, but you know, it's in fifth because I really love a lot of these films, surprisingly. I 
really, really enjoy the total difference in this film with the two kind of themes and genres it's going for. Like you said, it's very much, this is probably the darkest movie with, I think, when he does that spell on Malfoy in the bathroom and just blood is everywhere. Like, it it, it gets real dark and creepy in this film. Oh, that's right. I, yeah. That was an intense scene. Well, because goes and helps him, but that yeah. was, yeah, it is a, yeah, it's a very dark movie, but and again, it balances with that light tones of the, you know, of the relationships and yeah. the rom-com vibe and the teenage angst of, I don't even know, but, and it tries to balance it. For me, it feels a little messy, but I like that there's like two different, you know, light and a dark, you know, it kind of has that middle ground, but yeah. 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 And it is very messy. Uh, and I, it's pretty clear to me when watching it that. You know, the, the contrast doesn't work exactly that well when Malfoy's dying in the washroom and then it cuts to like a romance between Ron and Hermione. Like it's very polar opposite and it cuts drastically within like a minute. But it, it, it works for me. I don't know why. I really love how it gets so, so dark, but it's also one of the most lighthearted movies as well. Like the, the tones are so different and so drastic that... On a rewatch, it just makes it really fun. I think the rom-com aspect is some of the best content of the main three characters. I normally, you know, fall in love with the side characters in this universe, but in this movie, I love the three. I think Ron and Hermione and Harry with their love and just, they're just teenagers and they're just, you know, they got their hormones and they're, they're you know, love is in the air and, you know, uh, there's also death in the air, but they're just so focused on boning each other and there's just something hilarious <laughs> about that. Like, you know. Yeah everyone's dying around them and they're like well i just really want to date ron i don't know what to tell you guys like that's all i care about right now and that's hilarious it's so fun it's so adorable i like it I, and i also think something that you and really nobody really touches on so i might just be on the little boat in the cave by myself here but i think the cinematography in this one is a step above the rest i think there is just some absolutely gorgeous shots in this movie just some absolute You're right beautiful visual like visuals for example snape telling harry that he's the half-blood prince that shot of hagrid's hut in flames behind snape as he's looking at harry with like the flames behind him that is cinematic that is freaking awesome looking i, You're I think right. the, it, is, it is it looks very great good scene. It, it's very good looking i yeah. i will also say the the shot of them standing on a rock where it like just pans to the cave yes. after them looking out that that's a beautiful transition and a wonderful shot as well and um yeah this one has a lot of really good shots i'd say it's probably up there with i mean i i would say prisoner of azkaban has it's a beautiful looking film as well yeah uh i think quaron did a great job with that uh movie overall but i guess we'll get to that one soon but this one does have a really it's very very good looking i, I would yeah you're right i think it's better looking than uh, deathly hallows part one and two I think it's the best looking one of all eight movies. I know that might be a hot take. I think most people say it's the third one. I, I just think this movie looks really good. So I think that's why you know, I have it at five. Yeah, I, and I was going to say that um, I really do think that this one's overlooked with the cinematography because now I didn't realize until you pointed all those scenes out. I was like, oh, wow, you're right. They do look incredible. And I'm like running through the movie in my mind now. And you're uh, you're spot on date it is one of the best looking harry potter movies i agree yeah and also i think it has the best death you mentioned dumbledore 
I feel like the oh my gosh. Yeah, I feel like the issue with the Harry Potter movies, you know, if I had to say like one issue, is I feel like most of the deaths don't have that much weight. Like, you know, well, uh, I guess fair sp light spoiler here. If you haven't seen any of the Harry Potter movies, I'm going to list off a few of the deaths here, so maybe skip a minute or two. But in the order of the Phoenix, I think Sirius Black's death is really bad. We'll get into it when we get to it, but like it is just so quick. And then even in part 1 and part 2, of course, like, I think deaths like Dobby was really, really good. But then there's others where it's like Hedwig just, like, disappears. Like, his own pet just dies instantly and we don't care. Like, I just feel like we're they go through the deaths really quickly at times that the weight mm -hmm. isn't there. Dumbledore, they hold on it. The camera freezes on him as he's falling to his death. That is the most powerful moment of the entire franchise for me. It's the one where I get a little teared up. Because, you know, he's a huge character in the first six books. He's not going to be in the last two. That's crazy. He's not going to be in the last two movies. Uh, so I think it holds a lot of weight. Uh, I thought it was handled really well. Although, I watched it with my fiance. And the, these were uh, the last couple of movies she, had, she hadn't seen for the first time until we watched it a month ago. So she didn't know that Dumbledore died. So when we watched the scene... She sat there and I was like looking at her waiting for her to like absolutely lose it. And then when the movie ended, she was like, but he like is going to come back next movie, right? And I was like, wait, what are you talking about? You thought that was like, <laughs> she, she thought that was like a fake out. So I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't work for some. You were in the era where people die, but then they come back because it's that easy to write people back and stuff. So <laughs> yeah, uh, I, could, I do agree with you that the Dumbledore's death is probably the most powerful and probably one of the most the saddest moments of the um of the franchise i would argue that snape's is up there too oh uh, you're right especially with the whole montage of snape actually caring for him the entire time after he you know takes the tears from his eyes in, in part two my god that that whole scene it gets me so in the feels it's it's such a powerful scene and you kind of learn so much about snape and you just think about it like man we 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 judged him wrong this whole yeah. time. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. We, we do... Uh, yeah, Hedwig is too quick. I didn't like that one. Dolby was good because, you know, kind of hold on to it a little and it goes right into... The, and it, that's how the second movie begins as well. So yeah. I like that one. But also Sirius Black. I hated that death. Yeah, yeah I was sad, but it kind of just happens really fast. And you don't really mourn him. Uh, no. It's just Harry. And I mean, he... We'll get to that when we get to Order of Phoenix. So mm -hmm. we'll, we'll talk about that soon. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, and I, I do kind of take back what I said about uh, yeah, Dobie and Snape were definitely some of the strongest ones as well. Uh, I like how Dobie got to be buried as a human. I, stuff like that is just what makes Harry Potter great. How they go back to things they reference earlier in like the second movie. And they kind of fulfill a character's arc. Like, it's just something like that is what makes these blockbusters so great. I, I love this franchise. I do too. Yeah, <laughs> Obviously, yeah. That's why we're sitting here talking about it. Of um, course. <laughs> yeah. We can move on to number six here. And that is going to be Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. So oh man, that's so low. Yeah. <laughs> so a bit of a gap here. I have it at seven and you have it at three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a bit different. Oh my gosh. Okay. I want you to start first. I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Before the, I dive into it. Yeah. And to be fair, uh, maybe I'm just crazy here because before a month ago, when I, before I rewatched them, 
If you asked me the last 10 years, from 2011 to 2020, if you asked me, hey, Quentin, what is your favorite Harry Potter movie? I would say, hmm, might be Goblet of Fire. Like, I, I don't know why. When I was a kid and I just, in my mind, I loved Goblet of Fire. It was, it was my favorite. I was a big dragon guy when I was a eight-year-old boy. I feel like every guy was a, a big dragon stan. So I fucking loved Goblet of Fire just because of that <laughs> 10 minute dragon scene. That's all I cared about. I, I would watch the rest of it and I'd be like, okay, yeah, the dragon was really cool. This is the best movie ever. So that scene, I, I agree that those scenes are so intense. <laughs> yeah, it is really good. Uh, I don't know why on this rewatch, I would uh, maybe because I'm not super into dragons now that I'm 25 years old, but it was something about. I don't know. I don't know why the magic kind of disappeared for me for a bit with this film. And I still really like it. I still think it's really, really fun. I still, you know, love the dragon. But I think the other two tasks are kind of not that fun. Just movie-wise. Maybe I, I remember them being good in the book. But in the movie, the dragon one looks amazing. And then they're like in the water. And then they're in a maze. I don't know. A bunch of people running around in a maze isn't that fun for me. I thought it was a little kind... I don't know. I thought it was kind of lame. I do like some of the introductions to characters like Mad-Eye Moody and stuff. And, and I love Robert Pattinson as Cedric. Like, like there's stuff in it that I enjoy. I don't know. It was just... It felt very odd to me that the plan to get Harry to go to... I don't know, the graveyard where they're waiting to sacrifice him. The, 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 the path to get there seemed like a lot of work. To get him to do the tournament, just to get to the end of the tournament, and then he has to be the one that has to touch the goblet. It seemed like a lot of steps. Couldn't they have just like put the port key on like his mug that he likes to drink coffee with in the morning? <laughs> like, wouldn't, is that all it would have take? Uh, maybe I'm missing, a, maybe I need to reread the book. Maybe there's more rules to it than I thought. There but, probably is, uh, <laughs> but I, I understand what you're, you're going, what you, where you're coming from. It's a lot it of steps. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of steps. Uh, you know, it's a good time, but the whole time I was just thinking, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I thought Mad-Eye Moody could have thought of, like, I could have thought of a better plan than Mad-Eye Moody. I don't know what this guy's doing. Put it on his broomstick. He always touches that. That's it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It seemed like maybe I'm missing something. It has to be something you don't own or something. I don't know the rules to it, but yeah, I... I, I thought the film almost felt kind of pointless because I don't know exactly why we had to do all of this just to get him. Like the whole movie is just get to the graveyard. That That is the point that Voldemort is getting at. And it just seemed like a long journey to get to it. It was a good journey, but I, from the movie at the end kind of just felt like, okay, I had a good time. I don't really know what the point of it was, but I had a good time. And which I guess, you know, there's nothing wrong with that for a Harry Potter film. Okay, well, I'm going to talk about it now because I have little different opinions than yeah. you do, which makes it fun. But he, here's my, my thing with Goblet of Fire. I, I think this, this one, in addition to the, the first three, were probably my, my, my most watched Harry Potter movies. I loved this one as a kid. I still love it as a 25-year-old. <laughs> uh, this it reminds me of like the Hunger Games of, of Harry Potter movies because they've got mm. all these events. And you can die doing these events <laughs> easily. I love the beginning of like, the Quidditch World Cup. I thought that was really cool. Um, but what fascinates me, I'm gonna, I'll come back to the uh, Quidditch World Cup real quick. But what fascinates me, I was watching a YouTube video about 
um, I think someone ranking the Harry Potter movies. And they talked about how the director of Goblet of Fire never read the book. So he kind of just went off what I guess the writers were doing and did what he wanted, which is why I think it's the most different from the book, from what I've heard. Uh, and I find that very interesting because it's like, you didn't read the source material, but you're directing the film. Like, what? That's weird. Yeah, that's great. I haven't read the book, so I don't know. I know that the first like 10 or 13 chapters of Goblet of Fire are solely focused on the Quidditch World Cup, which I find very interesting because we only spend like seven minutes on it in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't remember much about the books. So there's like little tidbits where I'm like, hey, they cut that where like in my childhood yeah. mind, I still remembered it. And that was one of them. I thought, oh, wow, we are not visiting the tri- we're not visiting the Quidditch World Cup for that long. So as a, as a middle schooler, uh, I think it was a middle school. This came out in 2005. So as a Maybe elementary school, probably not elementary school. So I, I guess as a as a little Sophie, uh, watching this was a, a lot of fun because you had you had you kind of relate to like I grew up as Harry Potter grew up, you know. We were we were kind of like the same age. Maybe he was a little older. It's fine, but it was that era of the no haircuts. None of the guys in this movie had haircuts. They were oh, all yeah. long hair, and I loved that vibe. I was like, oh yeah, that's the 2005 vibe I'm I'm going for. Uh, it was, um, you had the events in addition to the, the ball, the U-ball. I love that scene, that entire scene where they have to get dressed and dance and find partners and girls, and the girls have to find the guys. And you, you begin to see the, the, the whole relationship between Ron and Hermione, the love-hate relationship that they have as friends, and I really like that. Um, but that whole ball scene, I, I, I love, like as a... <laughs> as a little girl i loved it as now i find it adorable and 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 um it's just a fun it's just fun in addition to all of the chaos happening in the film like this is a nice little break and and you know they need it they need a dance they need they, they need something fun to just keep their minds off of this crazy games that they have to participate in like you said i really like the introduction of mad eye moody in this one even though it wasn't actually moody it was uh barty crouch jr acting as Mad-Eye Moody because he uh, drank the polyjuice potion. Um, but I loved that reveal in the end. I thought that was a really cool reveal. I love David Tennant in this, even though he was only in the movie for like two, three minutes. Uh, he had a really lasting impact because I was obsessed. Uh, I had a phase where I loved Doctor Who, and then I would go back and just watch his scenes in Harry Potter. Oh, David Tennant, he's amazing. But going back to the games here, I think the most iconic thing in this film is when Dumbledore asks Harry if he put the, his name in the Goblet of Fire. Because in the books, he asks him calmly. But in the movies, he almost tackles him to the ground and yells in his face. And I find that so funny that every time I rewatch this movie, I record it. And I always add in the end, he asked calmly. I, I loved that scene. That is really funny. I was cracking up when he's just losing his mind. Yeah, and honestly, it's not supposed to be a funny scene, but I think it's probably the memeiest part. Like, it's very memeable yeah. <laughs> now that everyone knows about it. Uh, but the games, uh, I, I will say I love the dragon. I think that the, the dragon game is my favorite game or event of the, of, of the film because dragons are cool. And um, you have Harry that, of course, gets stuck with the. Most terrifying dragon of them all. Of course. And um, the water game, I like it too, because, you know, 
these are just difficult tasks that Harry has to get done and got to think about how he has to complete them. And, and he's got everyone that hates him because they all think that he put his own name in the Goblet of Fire and got away with him. So you get like Ron and uh, Harry kind of just squaring off there for a little bit because Ron is stupid jealous and he's kind of... A... <laughs> Some of the things that Ron does is a little questionable to me. I'm like, hmm, Harry, why are you still friends with Ron? But <laughs> it's understandable at that age. That makes sense. But yeah. I really like uh, how they grow from that after, you know, they get a little mad at each other. Um, and the maze, I, I will say, is, is definitely a... That was a scary... When I was a kid, I didn't like watching the maze scene. I always got scared. But looking back, it, they did a really good job of making it very, you know, terrifying. And it makes sense because in the end, the porky takes them to the graveyard, which I think this film has my favorite, like, last 20 minutes. Yeah. I love when they go to the graveyard. I, I mean, it's just so, it's so terrifying. Like, you, you see him come back, and you, th- you see him kill Cedric, and it's just, it takes a huge turn of events right there. This is, this is what happens. This is what the first three movies are leading up to, is, this is, is Voldemort's return, and you're just like, oh, shit, it's happening. And they did a really good job, and I, I could watch it over and over again. I love, I love those scenes, and then, and then, when Harry and then when Harry squares off with Voldemort and you get all the like uh, his mom and dad putting a force field like that whole scene is just absolutely wonderful. And honestly, I didn't expect a scene like that so soon into the franchise. I thought that was really, really cool. It's just an overall very, very fun movie. And it's an interesting shift from Prisoner of Azkaban because that's the movie that, you know, that's the one that I think had the largest impact on the franchise. And again, it, this goes back to the directors. If they just stuck with one director throughout the entire franchise, I think it would have been a, a much better and more consistent uh, franchise as a whole. But you've got the problem with all the different directors that have their own style. So you come from Prisoner of Azkaban in this dark, gritty tone to Goblet of Fire, which still has that dark tone to it, but you get a different composer to compose it, a different director. It, it's gonna, it's gonna feel off. It's like, oh wait, what happened to this vibe we had going on in Prisoner of Azkaban? I, I want more of it. That's that's the problem that this one has. But that's okay. It keeps it. the The ending is just so cold and so dark, and I really love it because that that's when you know, like, oh, shit's about to go down. This is gonna progress the story even more, and 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 Harry's got a lot of things to get done, and yeah, it's. I'm blabbing now. I'm rambling now because I, I'm just thinking about Goblet of Fire and how much I want to rewatch it. But those are my thoughts. Oh, and uh, I forgot to mention the score by Patrick Doyle in this one. After Prisoner of Azkaban, John Williams stopped composing and they brought in Patrick Doyle. And I thought, oh, shoot, this is not going to be that good. But honestly, Patrick Doyle does a really good job. He's got a lot of iconic themes in there, like the uh, Harry, uh, the Potter waltz when they're waltzing in the U-Ball. That's a really good song. It's just more happy. It's not as magical and wondrous as John Williams would have done, but it it it, it fits and it does its job. So I like it. Yeah, yeah, I really like the last twenty minutes. I agree with you there that it really does feel terrifying. That graveyard setting is really cool. So yeah, I, I do think it ends really strong. Another kind of joke, more so for me. I don't know if anyone else finds this hilarious, uh, but similar comedy to Dumbledore losing his mind that Harry's in the tournament is when Harry has the golden egg 
he doesn't know what to do with it. He doesn't know what the clue is for the second t- challenge. And he needs Cedric to go up to him and be like, hey, you should maybe go to this giant tub with the egg and maybe, uh, you know, have a little swim with it. So Harry goes up there with the egg and he's just sitting there in the tub. He has like a bubble bath going. He's got bubbles there. He's just laying there naked with the egg. And he's just chilling with the egg. He doesn't know that he's supposed to put it under the water. So he, he literally thought he was just supposed to take a bath with it. I think that's, to me, that seems hilarious. The whole time he's just sitting there naked in a tub, just thinking he's supposed to chill with it. He, he still has not put two and two together. Classic Harry's an idiot moment. I, it's hilarious to me. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty, <laughs> just took a bath with it or something. I, I thought that that was a fun, that's an interesting, uh, interesting scene, but. Now that you bring it up and, and talk about it, it is pretty funny in retrospect. <laughs> yeah, he literally just, yeah, he's sitting there and he needs the, he needs Moaning Myrtle to be like, oh, you're supposed to go underwater with it. And he was like, really? Like, <laughs> he, he thought he was just going to sit in the water with it. I don't know what he thought that was going to do. But yeah, he, uh, you know, he, it took a little while to get there. Good thing Moaning Myrtle's nearby. I think it's really awkward that she was like in her late 20s, early 30s when she recorded that, I think. Oh, really? She was way older than all of the other students. Yeah. Uh, she looked really young, but she was actually, like, really old. And it's kind of uncomfortable when you think about it. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Sutton tells me, I don't, I don't think Daniel Radcliffe was actually naked in there. So I think, she, I think he's okay. Hell no. Absolutely <laughs> not, no. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think yeah, I have, I have this one at three. I think I had it at four, and I moved it up because I loved it that much. It's just a fun movie. And there's so much that goes on, and I'm never bored. That's one of the, I mean, I know you talked about how the games where you're watching the water scene and the amazing, you're like, whatever about it. For this one, I was never bored. There's always something happening and something fun. It's a good one. It's a really good one, and I never get tired of rewatching it. It's, it's always one that I would, if it's on TV, I'll put it on. If Deathly Hallows Part 1 is on TV, <laughs> I won't put it on. Yeah. But this one, I will. <laughs> That, that, that's a good rule of thumb and you do get a good point there this movie does not pause for a second there's not a single moment where they're kind of just going. resting yeah it really is at a neck a neck break pace all right so we can move on to number five here and the, the roles are kind of reversed here because we have the chamber of secrets which you have at six and i have at three. Oh wow okay um i'll do you mind if I go ahead and just yeah, no, get go first. my little... I had like a love-hate relationship with this one for so long because as a kid, I could never watch the end with the, the giant snake. I, I, I literally, I would go to like the back of the room and close my eyes and hope it's over because I was so scared of... Um, what's it called again? The basilisk? The, yeah, the bas- basilisk. Yeah. I hated it. I was terrified. I was like, oh my God, it's going to eat me in my sleep. <laughs> but when I started watching the, uh, the movies again, I was like, oh, Chamber of Secrets, this is the worst one. This is not good. <laughs> this one's stupid, and it's, and it's the longest of the franchise, and I don't know why, because it's, I, I wasn't a fan of it. But then now, I have gained so much more appreciation for it, because it's, like, really dark. You know? They have this Chamber of Secrets that no, no one, one knows about, and no one can open but then someone just happens to be able to open it. And then, I don't know, it's, it's, there's a lot going on. And I, it is the longest of, of the eight. And I think I've seen both versions, the 
regular and the extended, but I have this one on the lower end because, and it's not my least favorite anymore. I, I do find a lot of enjoyment in it. There's, there's a, it's a second year at Hogwarts. There's a brand new adventure that awaits. You got John Williams. Uh, he's back. He's got some, I mean, a lot of the music is very similar. It's, I don't think he has a lot of new themes besides Fox the Phoenix. He's got a theme for them, but he uses that same like evil theme for the Basilisk and Tom Riddle. But um, I will say the whole Tom Riddle subplot, I really like uh, the whole diary thing. Really, really cool. It's a Horcrux and we don't even know it yet. And I really like that reveal later on when we go back into the Chamber of Secrets in part two. But um, I like how they keep that as like a thing in Hogwarts. But I really like the mystery. And this happens in the first two films. They've got a really good uh, um, a mystery element. It feels like a Scooby-Doo movie, but with magic. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's, that's a good comparison. Like, well, yeah, because like in the first one, they think it's Snake, but it's actually Professor Quirrell. It's like, oh, no, we were wrong. Uh, and then in this one... You don't know who's been opening the Chamber of Secrets, and it's revealed that it's been Ginny all along because she was possessed by the ghost of Tom Riddle, and I think that's pretty cool. You get Professor Lockhart. <laughs> he's such a fun character. He's such an asshole, and he's so full of himself, but he's, he's a great addition into the wizarding world because um, you get the, that whole running gag of, oh, we're going to get a new defense against the arts teacher every single year, and... This year, we're giving you a guy who's full of himself, so here you go. And he can't really do magic because he's a fraud. I like his character a lot. It, it, it's very funny, and it's played by, played by the great um, Kenneth Brenna. Yeah, the Belfast so, director. The Belfast director, yeah, and <laughs> Thor. He did Thor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, this one's a fun movie. Uh, the spider scene is still very terrifying to me. I hated the spider scene, and I hated the basilisk scene. But now I go back and watch it, and I appreciate both of them. They're great scenes. And I like being terrified now because, you know, it's, uh, it's something more to feel when you're watching movies, which is some, I don't know if that's sad or not. Yeah, this is a fun one. I don't really have much else to say about it besides it's not my favorite, but it's not awful. It's not, like, my least favorite. It's kind of in the middle of the pack. It's still got that charm. Uh, I watched this one a lot growing up. Mm, don't like it as much. I think it's my least favorite of the first four, I would say. Okay. So, obviously, I like all eight of these movies. They're all great. Yeah. Yeah. But I would say there are three that I think are probably in my top 50 blockbusters of all time, or maybe top 100 films. It just uh, There's three of these that are just a tier above for me, and this obviously being number three on my list is one of them. I fucking love chamber of secrets i really really like this movie if there's one thing 13 year old quentin liked more than dragons it was big snakes and i oh, no. <laughs> and i loved it i thought the basilisk fight was probably the coolest thing my little eyes have ever seen when i was young i i couldn't believe it i was like they got a big snake i thought i thought it was real i, I was just amazed it was so cool like this is like the wonder and the magic that really brings out the nostalgia in me. Every time I see this movie, as in, you know, early two, you know, mid 2000s and this a month ago, because I haven't seen it for a decade, 
a month ago, I sat down and watched this and I was a child again. I was just, my eyes were wide. There was a giant snake on my screen. There were giant spiders. It was, the, the mystery of it is so freaking cool. I agree that yeah. the Tom Riddle diary is really, really good. I, I, to me, the Horcruxes are kind of lame. And it's kind of like a dumb plot near the end of the movies. Like I get it, and I and, and like I, it doesn't make the films less for me. But they're kind of what yeah. they're little emblems that he like put part of his soul in. Like what does that mean? But the diary is different. He like actually talks through the diary in such a cool way, especially in a movie. It's so visual. You writing the line down, it disappears, and then his response appears. Like it's so creepy. It is so my- mysterious. Like what the fuck is going on with this diary? It's really really cool. It's the best Horcrux by far. Uh, just as it a is the best fi- yeah, as like a film point of view, like it, just the visual of the storytelling and him manipulating it. So when you go through the diary, you think Hagrid is the one opening the Chamber of Secrets, the most lovable guy mm-hmm. in the first film. You suddenly start to question: Is he the good guy? And it, it does a really good job at that. You actually start getting manipulated like Ginny, like Harry, the audience is starting to get manipulated by Tom Riddle. And I think that's really cool how we're kind of following Harry's point of view. And so we start to think less of Hagrid. And so I think the the storytelling aspect of this film is really, really good. And it seems like, it, like you said, it's pretty dark. It seems like it's the most dangerous. Like Hermione gets paralyzed and all these characters yeah. start to slowly get paralyzed. They're, they're not dying. So it's kind of a cheap way to like have that impact without actually killing Hermione but like when she gets paralyzed like when I was a kid I was fucking scared I was like holy shit she's one of the main three and she's dying like it gets really fucking intense for a second you actually start thinking man anybody could get hurt in this movie or in this franchise really so I think this film is really really scary and intense and mysterious but on the flip side I guess similar to the Half-Blood Prince but it, it does not feel as drastic it feels very natural it's very fun I think Lockhart is a hilarious character. I think Ron is yeah. at his peak in this movie with his whiny fear of spiders. The Whomping Willow is hilarious. Face. Yeah, <laughs> Ron is Ron kind of after the first two movies, he kind of gets kind of sidelined. He's not that funny anymore. But I the agree. First no, two, the first yeah. two, he's, he's the best in the first two. <laughs> he's amazing. I went, I wanted more com- comedy Ron. He's really good in the first two. But yeah, it's really really funny. One of my favorite scenes. It's so funny to me. Might just be me on this, but when Hagrid is being taken away because they think he opened the Chamber of Secrets and so Dumbledore and someone from the Ministry has taken him away, but Harry is under the cloak in the in the hut with Hagrid and Hagrid just goes, give me one second. And he just turns around to the empty hut and he goes, if someone's in this hut, you should probably go see the spiders. <laughs> <laughs> It's so... Follow the spiders. Yep, follow the spiders. (laughs) It's so funny to me. Like, imagine you're Dumbledore or Snape, and you're just watching Hagrid just talk to a hut. It's so fucking (laughs) stupid. It's hilarious. It is. Yeah, it's probably the biggest laugh-out moment of the whole franchise. I don't know why. I think that's so funny. Hagrid kills me in this. Talk, follow the spiders if someone's here. So, yeah, I, I really like this movie. The snake is really cool. The diary is really cool. The twist works. Like, you kind of think it's Hagrid. Maybe uh, Harry thinks it might be Malfoy. You have no idea, Ginny, and you have no idea that Tom Riddle is Voldemort. Uh, really fun. Really exciting stuff. So, yeah, uh, for me, Chamber of Secrets is probably the one that's just, you know, 
you know, I'm biased. It's nostalgia. This is the one that was my favorite as a kid. Yeah. I, I really loved listening to, you sounded so passionate about it. And I, I agree with a lot of, a lot of what you said. I love it. I will not, I will never skip Chamber of Secrets. Chamber of Secrets is a blast. If it's on TV, I'll put it on. It's a fun one. Uh, I just don't like it as much as the first, the other first uh, four, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's still fantastic. It's still a great movie. I, I mean, I think I bumped it up from a seven to an eight recently because it's just so much fun. So, like you said, I love all of these movies, but it's just hard to it's hard to rank them because they're all like little children. You know, they're my, you know, they're they're all so great. Yeah. <laughs> they all have their all uh, their own flair and their own likability and and their own thing. And and this one, it scared me as a kid, which is I guess why I didn't like it as much. But looking back, I'm like, dang, it scared me good. That's why <laughs> yeah. it's so good. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty scary. I was a bit of a psychopath as a kid, maybe, because I, I loved yeah, it. You yeah, you sound like it's like, whoa, <laughs> they got an actual big snake, huh? Yeah, I was, I was into it, yeah. The snake, man, I, I was kind of, yeah, I loved the snake. I was Team Snake in the when I was a kid. I liked that guy. <laughs> team Snake. Yeah. Oh, but, that's funny. But even him talking to snakes, like, that's a, just a great foreshadow to the end of the film. Like, I feel like the... The second movie, it just uh, and it introduces the Polyjuice Potion, which becomes a huge thing later on. So many things about the film. It introduces so many magical elements, like the snake, like the potions. Um, and then at the end of the day, uh, it's still a full, complete story. So yeah, it, to me, it's just it, it really encompasses the magic and the the, the terrifying parts of this world. So I, I think it's really good. And Dobby, yeah, we haven't I even mentioned Dobby. Dobby's awesome. Dobby, oh, that's right. He be, he comes in the beginning and routed because oh, the end uh with Lucius Malfoy that was a big plot twist too. It's like oh shit, he's been working for Malfoy this yeah. entire time, and then he goes Foster's presented Dobby with a sock. Dobby is free. <laughs> I love that scene so much. Yeah, he's and, awesome. Oh, a really a really interesting fun fact about this movie is that when that scene happens. Lucius Malfoy gets all mad, and then he begins to say Avada, thinking, like, are you gonna fucking kill Harry Potter in Hogwarts by saying Avada Kedavra? <laughs> and it's apparently because uh, uh, Jason Isaacs forgot, like, his lines and just thought of, like, I think a regular spell, and he was like, I'm just gonna say this just for fun, and, I kept, and they kept it in the movie. I think that's what happened. I read something really? about it. That, for, yeah. That's why he start, starts to say Avada, even though, like, that's the death spell, dude. You can't do that. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I, I don't remember the book, but yeah, maybe he was just going to use a normal spell because I don't remember it yeah. being the killing spell. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, so I thought that was really funny. <laughs> yeah. I, I love Lucius. He, he's such a minor character, but he's so good. I love him in these books. Oh, I, I love him so much. I mean, he's so evil, but he's... And in yeah. the end, you see how much of a coward that he actually is and his yeah. family, just like Draco. It's It's... It's fascinating. Their their dynamic is it's very good. Yeah, yeah especially I like that on a lot. yeah, especially on rewatches. I feel like the side characters you realize there's so much to them. Even on rewatches, you don't realize how well developed they are in their own little arcs. So yeah, like Lucius, yeah, well, what a little bitch. I love him. He is a little bitch. That's a great way to describe him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we can move on to number four here. Uh, I feel like we're more on the same page for this one, and that is going to be the Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, I think I have it on here. Actually, that what are we number four or five? Uh, number four. Order of Phoenix at four. I think. Where do I have it? Uh, so you have it at five, and I have it at four. 
Okay, yeah, that, that, that's, that's a good placement. Order of Phoenix. Oh, man, there's so much to like about Order of Phoenix. Yeah. yeah Order right, of Phoenix. You can go ahead and start with this one if you want. <laughs> sure, yeah. Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like Half-Blood Prince where it's like very different. Like it's very drastic in tone. But this one is very much, we follow a very similar tone for the first two-thirds of the film. And then take a drastic change for the last third when they're in the Ministry of Magic. And for me, I have it at fourth. Because I absolutely love the first two thirds, but I really don't like the last third. Uh, the Ministry of Magic for me is just so boring and uninteresting, and I think it's Dang. portrayed very poorly. Like I just think it's it's edited terribly. Uh, it's messy. I don't really like it at all. But the first two thirds is some of the best Harry Potter content of the entire franchise. Where I love Umbridge. She is. Is it's so yeah. fascinating to me that uh, they introduce a new villain per se with Umbridge, and I, I just love it so much how the fourth movie ends with Voldemort, you know, coming to life. The, the big villain is alive, and then we get quickly introduced to a new villain, and it's to show that even people as clearly villainous as Voldemort, there's some people that are just as nasty. Just because they're, they're they're just normal, despicable people. Like Voldemort is larger than life. He doesn't even feel like a human because he has seven souls split. His soul split into seven parts. Like he's kind of like a serpent and some bigger than yeah. life being. Umbridge is just a normal person. It just it shows you that even normal people can be just as, just as despicable as Voldemort. And I think that's such a great thing to show for children because Umbridge is the worst. She is almost as diabolical as Voldemort, and she's just making people write notes in detention. Like, there's something about her. She's so vindictive and manipulative and evil that I love her. I, I think, like, I think I like her more than Voldemort, to be honest with you. I think Umbridge is fucking amazing. She is that, so like, evil. She is, she is, I think, even worse than Voldemort, in, in, like, in terms of, like, villainous. And I love to hate her so much. She's one of the... She's one of the best Harry Potter characters in terms of, like, evilness. Oh, my God. What you said is very accurate. I, I agree with you 100% on Umbridge. Oh, I hate her so much, but she's so good. So good. Like, what I a great her. character. <laughs> yeah, and, like, her wardrobe, and I love how her office is all decorated with plates. Like, everything about her is just so cartoonish and villainous and yeah. delicious. I love her so much. It and when, is. Yeah. Yeah, and when Harry's writing the note on the, and he's getting the writing on his skin, that is... Oh, that is terrible. That is so horrifying. I just watched Voldemort kill somebody in the fourth movie, and I'm getting more grossed out at his skin being written on. Like, it's just, it, it's so gross and brutal. And she has, like, no remorse. She doesn't give a crap about these kids. And it's kind of crazy. And it's very much about, like, the press and the public and the image that they refuse to believe Voldemort is alive. And anybody that says anything otherwise... Umbridge is going to punish them like she's literally forcing people to follow an agenda and I think that's a really good talk about maybe society or maybe how things are talked about on the press and maybe how things are you know they kind of manipulate media with this aspect and I thought that that take on something as huge as Voldemort coming back to life being manipulated by the press because they don't want any negativity or any fear to be yeah. spread around like that's great I think that's a really that's good a great point Reaction, that's one of my yeah. favorite things about that's one of my favorite things about this movie as well is just taking and it happens all the time like in our lives too yeah. like this is very it's very realistic and it's incredible how oh they hit the nail right in the head with that uh portrayal yeah it's a fantastic follow-up to voldemort coming back like the fifth movie 
took the right course of action, which was to have people doubt it and to have this, like people, Harry, who the first four films, and very much the first four films are more lighthearted, more magical, more, yeah, Harry's the best, we all love this guy. And all of a sudden, the fifth movie, people are like, hey, Harry, why the fuck are you pretending Voldemort's alive? You just want the attention? People start to think he killed Cedric. Like, there's a lot of layers yeah. to this where Harry's no longer a hero. He's just a guy. And we kind of finally humanize him. And I think a yes. great way to also humanize him is he finally got to see death. And this is why I put this so high, even though the last third really fucking sucks. I love that Harry is all of a sudden now trying to handle depression. He suddenly, he saw a fellow student die before his eyes and he knows Voldemort's alive and nobody believes him. He feels alone in this situation and he, it gets really dark. It gets really depressing at times. Like it's very much a character study on Harry Potter as he's trying to adapt to what he just witnessed. Like he watched a kid die. That's brutal. And so to have these moments where the first two thirds He's reflecting with Luna, who's a little bit of a nut job, but she's the only one that can really reconnect with him about handling death and handling the fact that you just saw somebody die. So I thought that the first two thirds addresses maybe public manipulation and it handles depression and handling maybe, you know, as a kid, you do handle tough moments in your life, but you got to move on from that and maybe create a Dumbledore's army of your own. I don't know. Oh, what you just said, it just basically sums up all my thoughts. Pretty, I mean, I don't know if you have anything else to say, but yeah, I, I completely agree with you on all aspects there because the portrayal of the me, like media or the press or I don't even, whatever you want to call it, the Ministry of Magic versus, yeah. you know, what's actually true. And I love that this picks, I love the way this picks up right after Goblet of Fire. It handles it very well. Everyone just kind of hates Harry Potter again, where it's like, oh, they think that Voldemort's back, but no one believes Harry. It's kind of just like a he said, she said thing. And I also love the development of Dumbledore's army in this one to try to, you know, they got, again, once again, Umbridge as defense against the Dark Arts, but they're not teaching them jack shit. So Harry's like, you know what? I'm going to try doing this on my own and I'm going to help my friends because we're not going to get anywhere with this stupid teacher. Yeah. So I really loved all those scenes of, you know, the montages of like basically them getting better at learning all the spells for them to defend themselves against, you know, anyone who could attack them because Harry's a big threat now that he's back. But no one believes him, which is what Voldemort wants, you know? Yeah, that's uh, kind of what I like about the movie a lot. And I love um, Sirius's, uh, Sirius Black's involvement of this film as well. Mm -hmm. So that's fun. We get introduced to him in Prisoner of Azkaban. And we haven't talked about that movie yet, but I guess we get to see more of Sirius in this one only for them to kill him off, which is kind of annoying because he's such a great character. I mean, we don't see enough of him, but we, we can see based on very minimal interaction that how much Sirius means to Harry because it's basically the only family he has left, like legitimate family. And I really love how much he means to Harry. Like, their relationship is wonderful in the film. And, yeah, them killing Sirius off in the end was... I didn't like the way that happened. But when you, when you see Harry scream, it's interesting. I was reading something about this, that he actually screamed while they were filming, but they muted it for, like, I guess, dramatic effect. But you can feel it. 
I could hear it too, even though it was muted. Oh my God, it hurt so much to just see him like in pain because you know that, you know, this is, he just saw a fellow student die before his eyes in Goblet of Fire. And now he sees someone he loves and thought he was going to, you know, live with die before his eyes. That's really painful. So Harry goes through a lot in this film. And I think it's something that, you know, it's impactful for his character growth. And like you were saying, it's really important for the franchise and for the story to progress. And um, I don't know, they did a really good job with this movie. I know you said that you didn't like the, um, what's it, uh, the Ministry of Magic scenes. Yeah. They were really, I really like the end of this movie when Dumbledore comes over and just has a whole huge ass fight with everyone. And I think the last 20 minutes of this film are insane. And every time I watch it, I always forget how epic it is. Oh shoot, yeah, we got this whole fight going on. It's just crazy. There's so much going on. I, I mean, I like it. It's, it's a lot of fun, and I, I need to rethink it because every time I watch it, I'm like, damn, why isn't this higher on my list? And then I finish it, and I'm like, oh, okay. We still got a lot to go. There's a lot of unfinished business. And I was really hoping that Half-Blood Prince picked up exactly where um, Order of the Phoenix uh, kind of left off on. And it kind of does, but it doesn't. With that, I think that's why Order of the Phoenix is the much better of the two. I don't know why I associate them as, like, very similar movies, but I think Order of the Phoenix is up there with, like, the last four films. Um, I really like it. It's, it's, it's more mature. They've grown up. They've seen death. It just feels like a, a shift from Goblet of Fire, you know? They're not kids anymore. They all look like young adults now. It's, it's, it's shit's got real, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I think from 2011 to 2021, if you were to ask me what my least favorite Harry Potter movie was, I would have said Order of the Phoenix. I think when I was a kid, I hated this movie. I probably, if I had Letterbox at the ripe age of 16, I probably would have given this like a two star. Like I was not a fan of this movie at all. But uh, so it was a very pleasant surprise uh, a month ago when I watched it and I loved it. I, I Yeah, I really liked this movie a lot. So, you know, uh, maybe... Uh, 16-year-old Quentin needs to get better at liking movies because I don't know what I was thinking back then because, yeah, this movie's really good. I, yeah, I don't know. The the last third for me just doesn't work at all. I, I just think it's messy. Like, it's just flicking of wands, the magic in the air. Like, it's just, it, it, it's so sporadic and all over the place that maybe uh, it's just because I'm a little dumber than everyone else. Uh, I, I can't follow it. It's just a bunch of bright lights. Like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. I, the orbs falling, that scene is cool. But when Sirius dies, it's so quick that you'll miss it. Like, it's like she appears, throws a spell, he disappears in like a portal, and it's instantly gone. And I'm sitting there like, wait, did he just die? Like, what the fuck just happened? Like, it was so quick that I, I can't. Oh yeah. yeah, I forget that we also get more Bellatrix. Like, we we get introduced to Bellatrix in this one, and yeah. she's a really cool character. She's I great. wish we got to see more of her in the in the films because she's just so wacky and just insane and chaotic. I really like her as a character. I mean, yeah, she's so freaking evil, and she kills two big characters. Yeah, I wish we got to see more of her in the franchise, but I like that they brought her in for a good amount of time. Um, I like her role in the movies, and I like her role in this one, even though she freaking kills Sirius Black, but I mean, whatever. What can you do? <laughs> yeah, I liked her better in part one uh, for Deathly Hallows. Like, she was really, yeah, really absolutely. crazy in that. Yeah, but she's a, just a great character. I do kind of wish we got more of her. So we can move on to number three here. 
Um, and it might be one of the biggest divides here because we have your number one pick, and that is Prisoners of Azkaban. Oh my god. Yeah. You, that's number three? Yeah, number three, unfortunately. Uh, we we yeah. did have a co-host that was going to do this for a second, and it, he would have helped bump it up. I kind of wish he showed up just so it wasn't number three. I feel bad. You have it at one. That's I have okay. it at yeah. <laughs> I I have it at six. You have Prisoner of Azkaban at six. I know. I know. I I, I don't know why. Tell us why this is your favorite Harry Potter. Oh my! There's so much about this film that it's so good. Okay, it's my favorite Harry Potter movie because. I think a lot of it has to do with time travel. I love that aspect of it. I'm a slut for time travel movies, and this is a time travel movie. And the way it's executed is flawless. Absolutely yeah. flawless. There's nothing wrong with it. I love the way it's handled. I love how there's things that were slowly revealed that we, we knew that we're going to have, that, that, that we knew that it happened, and then they bring it back, and you're like, whoa, this actually all makes sense, and it connects. I know I'm jumping right into it, but. No, I uh, love it. This is, I mean, it's Alfonso Cuaron. He's an amazing director. They brought him in to, to do Harry Potter, and honestly, amazing decision. He's a fantastic director, and I think he hit the nail right on the head with this one because he takes what we've gotten. We have the first two Harry Potter movies, very, you know, exciting, not too dark. We've got, it's a very magical world. You've got some, you know, yeah, it's a little dark, but the cinematography and you know they're still kids so it's kind of got that childlike flair to it you know and in this one he kind of takes the story and you can see in the color palette of the film and the cinematography it's much it's 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 colder mm -hmm. it's darker and you feel it not only in the visuals but in the story as well Another reason why I really love this is this, this is the only movie in which Voldemort doesn't have an appearance in it. You, you don't have to worry about him at all. This is more of like um, Harry Potter dealing with, I mean, not think of it. it's just Sirius Black. And we think he's related to Voldemort in, like, in terms of Death Eater kind of things, but not the case. And I really like that dynamic. Like We kind of get a break from the whole Voldemort shenanigans, and this is one that just we focus on Harry, and also he discovers how powerful of a, uh, of a wizard he actually is with the Patronus charm. And we get in really great character introductions like Professor Lupin. I really love him in this. Uh, I love his relationship with Harry. You also get uh, a really, really great score from John Williams. He, you know, you've, we've, we've had two great ones from, you know, Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets, but... This one's a little different, you know, he, he's composed some really new themes like Buckbeak's Flight, he's composed for the Marauder's Map. It's so different, but it also really fits the vibe of the new vibe that this movie has going on for it. And I really, really like that. It's probably one of my most rewatched Harry Potter movies because, because of the fact it has time travel, I love going back and watching it again because that whole scene where they go back in time and do everything again, I think it's fantastic. I will say that the ending of this movie is probably the goofiest of them all. It kind of just cuts to Harry Potter just really laughing. But I think it's the last time you see him have a really good time. Because all these other endings, they're like intense. And <laughs> they've got, you know, 
something going after him. And then in this one, he just gets a new broom and he's like, I'm happy. Yay. Uh, and then, oh, I forgot to mention also the Dementors in this. It's, they're terrifying, you know? Yeah. It, it fits the vibe of, of the brooding, dark eeriness, you know? And uh, I really love that. I love that change of tone because it kind of sets, it's, it establishes the tone for the rest of the franchise. This is the, this is the switch. And I really like that. So, all right, you can, you can start saying stuff. I, I feel like I can continue for another hour and I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like this film. You know, the six is not uh, me hating on this movie at all. And I agree with you on the time travel. I'm actually really not a big time travel guy. I guess I'm the opposite of you. It's just, it's just not my thing. I don't really care for it that much. But... This is easily the best time travel in any film. Like, it's flawless. So the time travel in this movie is really, really good with the throwing of the stones and how they overlap with their own arcs. And it's so, so clever and so well done. And I think that's the big draw. The rest of the movie is fine. And like I enjoy it and I think it's really good. But it's all the time travel for me. Like As soon as the time travel takes into effect. Uh, the movie ramps up to an 11. Like the, the time travel section is really, really good. And maybe the, the, that kind of affects it for me because I walk out of the movie and I only care about those 20 minutes with the time traveling. Like it's just so good that the rest of the movie, I kind of forget about it every time. Like I don't really remember what else happens. I just remember how cool the time travel segment was. And the rest of the movie kind of just disappears for me. Like I remember... Lupin, I remember Sirius Black, but I don't really re remember that much about the movie, and maybe that's just a fault of my own. But every time I walk away, I kind of just go, "Yeah, the time travel was fucking awesome," and then that's it. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't really think of anything else about the movie. But the time traveling segment is probably one of the best scenes of the whole franchise. It is really, really good. No, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I love the end where, you know, he thinks it's his dad that's going to come, but it's actually him that did the Patronus charm. That yeah. always gives me chills when he just, he releases that powerful spell and, you know, and then he starts teaching it to everyone else in the Order of Phoenix. I think that's, it's his progression as a magician and you just think, oh, it's not just Hermione who knows a lot about magic. It's Harry has it too, you know, it's, <laughs> so it's pretty great. This film is just, Fantastic, and, and we get introduced to Hogsmeade, which is, you know, a pretty nice area. You know, it's an expansion of the Wizarding World, so they get to go to this little place with the, the candies and then different stores, and I really like the how we get more of an addition to the Wizarding World, and not just, like, in the castle at Hogwarts, but the other little villages and the towns that the students get to go to. So that was fun. The Maruto's map, you know? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Is awesome. Yeah, we never even mentioned that. Yeah, the map's so cool. It's, it's really, like, it, it, that's an expansion of magic that feels natural by the time we get to the third movie and still feels just as exciting. Like, that map is so cool. I love it. Especially, it is. I mean, we yeah. were talking about the title screen and the DVD. It's, yeah. it's so, I mean, even the, the end credits are Maruto map themed. So it's, it's so freaking cool. I wish I had one so I could see where everyone is at all the time. Yeah. Times. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. I also really like that also just a really good way of foreshadowing Peter Pettigrew, how he keeps seeing him on the map and he's yeah. going, wait, I thought he's dead. Like, what, what do you mean? Like, why is this guy somehow roaming the halls? Like, it's just a really cool little touch that it shows him on the map, but nobody can actually see him there because he's a rat. Like, that's awesome. 
you'd never think like, oh, this is the rat that's, you know, been in his family for 12 years and you didn't even notice. Um, but yeah, I, I like that, that we, we get introduced to Peter Pettigrew here and, and I love how all, all of it is a big misunderstanding because they all, once again, they think it's serious. That's, you know, the evil guy, but it's actually Peter Pettigrew that, you know, kind of betrayed the family and sold Lily and James's location. That's what caused Voldemort to kill them. And you just get more information as the films progress and it's, it's good. I mean, it's my favorite movie. I'm mean, like I just said, it's it's my favorite Harry Potter movie. Uh, the time travel sequence is honestly amazing, and I really like uh, the addition of Buckbeak. I love his the hippogriff is so freaking cute. I want one, and I think Buckbeak had such a big role in the movie, it made me really happy because I'm like this. This is one of my fa- I think it's my favorite uh, mystical creature in the Wizarding World, and um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he, Buckbeak is definitely one of the coolest characters. Um, Adorable. You know, yeah, he's no giant snake, but he's pretty cool. <laughs> no giant snake. Quentin, I, I, I'm concerned you want this giant snake as a pet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, just to hang out with it for one day would be pretty fun. Uh, I won't lie. <laughs> I feel like that's like your biggest dream. Like, I just need to pet the snake, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I don't know if he would want me to pet him, but uh, I'm down if he's down. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I know and, what's interesting now is that our last two movies, we have the first one and the last one. That's pretty interesting. Oh, that's true. I didn't even think of that. You're right. Because <laughs> I was thinking, what movies do we have left? Oh, shoot. The first one and the last one. Both excellent. I'm curious to see what order we put them in. Yeah, it is funny that we're really bookending it here. We're going to be discussing the very first one and the very last one. Hey, coming in at second place... We have the first movie, The Philosopher's Stone. That's, that's good, because the last movie's freaking epic, too. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the first one, oh, all right, you, you, can, you can go first with this one. So you have this at four, I have it at two. I love this movie. I, I think Philosopher's Stone does something that very few one-time movies, like uh, just a, a movie... Standing on its own, this is not preceding any other film. This is the very first one. And it is able to make you pretty much fall in love with like 30 characters. Like every character just feels so perfect and, you know, so unique in this world. And the world itself, Hogwarts and the flying owls and the letters and just everything about this movie. Well, okay, first of all, I said flying owls. Every owl can fly. I, I don't know why I said that. But, you know. Uh, you have to keep that. That's hilarious. <laughs> no, no, I'm keeping it. Yeah, of course. I don't, I don't edit that out. Everything yeah. about the Philosopher's Stone is just so magical. Where I watched it a month ago, and I was amazed. I was, I was like, I got the childlike wonder all over again, just as if I watched it the very first time when I was like 13 or 12. There's just something about this movie that's just so unique and so beautiful that I just absolutely love. I just think everything about Philosopher's Stone is perfect. Like you said, it's very much like a Scooby-Doo vibe, which I absolutely think is accurate and might be why I love it. Because I was very much into Scooby-Doo when I was 10 years old when I was watching this as well. And it's just the mystery of it. You think it's Snape, but then on a rewatch... It is so clearly not, and it is so clever in how it tricks you, 
but it, it's not cheap. Like even, I'll even admit it, uh, Chamber of Secrets. I love that movie to death because it's got a big snake, obviously. But Ginny yeah. is so random how she's the one that opens it. And it makes sense when they explain it, but it, it, it has that cheap element where there's no way when you're watching this, you could have predicted that. However, if you watch Philosopher's Stone, it is so clearly Quirrell when you look at the little clues, like the fire on Snape's cloak, making Quirrell not able to continue to do the curse during the tournament. Little things like that, where Snape's interrogating Quirrell, you think Snape's forcing Quirrell, but he's catching on to Quirrell. Like little things where on a rewatch, you go, oh my God, obviously it was Quirrell. This makes, like it's telling you to your face. It is yeah. a fantastic mystery that no other movie in this franchise is like that. It's like its own unique Scooby-Doo episode that makes sense. It's exciting. It's very rewatchable because you can look at the little clues as to how it was Coral and not Snape. But it was also magical, right? Like, I love how the stone was guarded by the dog and the plants. And, like, they have to actually, you know, the chest, they, they have to use things that they worked on throughout the movie and throughout learning all the magic classes that they attended to actually get to the final goal. Like, it's kind of like its own mini Triwizard Tournament of, you know, little tiny tasks that yeah. they have to do. And that's fun. Uh, everything yeah. about this movie is amazing. Okay, yeah, no, I, I agree with you a lot. Um, I, I will say the world building is Im immaculate. It's perfect. Amazing. It's, it makes me want to be wizard in the wizarding world. Like, I, I want to be there. And anytime I watch it, I feel like I'm there. That's how immersive it feels. And you feel like you're there with them. And it's honestly just incredible. And it's the first one. So it establishes all of these themes. You've got John Williams' incredible score. You know, and it just brings you to life, you know, to, in this world that you didn't think was possible. But, you know, they brought it to life. And now all you want to do is just be there with them. It's just absolutely incredible how they got this done. Obviously, it's the first one. So it sets the premise and, and the base of the entire franchise, obviously, you know, you've got Hogwarts and I really love the way they did everything. And they took their time too, showing us Hogwarts and everything Hogwarts has to offer and being a student at Hogwarts, you know, it doesn't really skip through a couple things. We get a full Quidditch match, you know, we're watching it with Harry as he tries to get the snitch. We, we get like the full tour of Hogwarts. And, and we also get that mystery element of, of the actual story of, you know, the Philosopher's Stone and, you know, Voldemort living on Mr. Quill's head, you know, that's kind of disturbing. And then we have that iconic scene in the chess match in the end, you know? <laughs> Once I make my move, <laughs> and you're free to check the king. It's blown up recently, but that's such a great scene, you know? Yeah. It's just overall, it's a fun movie. I, again, will put it on always if it's playing. It's, 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 it's the one that started it all, you know? And I really love the way... I wouldn't have, I mean, obviously, if they got, like, maybe Alfonso Cuarón to direct all of them, it would have been a little different. But I'm glad they got Chris Columbus to direct these movies because, or the first two movies, because it just gives it a very childlike charm to both films. And it's, it's a great start to this magical franchise that's honestly a big part of everyone's lives, you know? It's, and it's a big part of pop culture and everything. Yeah. I don't know if anyone could top something like that, you know, like a first movie that's that as good as world building. It's it's one of those best, you know? Yeah, this movie is able to basically explain the entire world and all these characters 
and still tell a and very well done movie. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And have like an actual well thought out story. It's crazy. I, it really is, I guess, use of the term magic. Like, I don't know how they were able to do it. I'm not super into scores, at least not as much as you. But this is my favorite I know, score. Okay. Yeah, but it, I love this score. Like, this is of the eight. Maybe it's just because it's the very first one. So it's the first time you hear some of these it's, iconic it's the moments. Yeah. It's so good. All yeah. themes. And even though John Williams didn't stay to score the rest of the films, they still bring back his themes in the films because it's that iconic and it's that nostalgic. And I don't know if I'll ever be able to feel like, obviously I do for some movies, but... This is one of the main movies that I feel the most nostalgia for. And one of the main franchises that I feel the most nostalgia for. And it's just incredible what they were able to do. And I think it's perfectly cast, too. Like I, would, I could not imagine another uh, actress playing Hermione or Harry or Ron. You know, it's, it's just they casted this perfectly. And obviously, we have the switch of Dumbledores for some sad reasons. Because the first Dumbledore, I think... Passed away, right? Which is why they had to recast him. I believe so. But even then, they got a really good Dumbledore to replace him. Which was really funny when I was younger and I was watching Prisoner of Azkaban. I was like, hey, what happened to like the old calm Dumbledore? And my dad <laughs> yeah. was like, oh, um, that's the same guy. Just, you know, I think they like did more makeup on Like, my dad convinced me it was the same actor. And I was like, that's not true. <laughs> Well, you're smarter than I did. I don't think I noticed it till I rewatched. I was like, "Oh wait, that's a different guy." My whole childhood, I thought it was the same guy. I had no idea. But there's just something magical about the first film. Like the second you see Hogwarts and that score lifts up, like it feels be like it feels outerworldly. Like you get chills down your spine. It really feels like you're entering this magical land. That's awesome. Like it's just really, really good. Everything about this film. I don't know what it is. It's just an absolutely perfect introduction to this franchise. Uh, and I think it really did help with its success because just the first film is just so fantastic. I agree with you 100%. Like it's, I don't remember where my placement was on it, but honestly, it's, it's so worth it. It's a lovely movie, and I, it's a big part of my childhood, and it's just it's a lot of fun. It's, 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 it's awesome. Yeah. Sure, I guess looking back at it, Oh, some of it feels a little goofy, but that's okay. You know, it, it establishes, you know, such a fantastic vibe, you know, that this film has going for it. And I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's so hard to, you know, bring to words what it made me feel as a kid versus what it makes me feel now. But it's a movie that I will not stop watching. And I cannot wait to show like my you know, friends that have never seen it or my future kids and i actually when i watched these movies in december and i marathon them i watched like i i kind of virtually watched them with a friend of mine who she lives in a different state and she had never seen the movies so it was so cool to like see her reactions for the first time and just her just forming her own opinions and just it looks like it's going to be nostalgic for her in the in the future like she's probably experiencing nostalgia that didn't like she didn't realize she had even though she knew that these movies, like, she's never seen them before. And honestly, like, it brought me tears of happiness, you know? <laughs> I really love, like, the end of this movie. Sure, it's the end of the first movie. There's eight of them. But every time, you know, he gets on that train and says goodbye to uh, yeah. Hagrid and that music starts to play, I get so teary-eyed. It's so beautiful. Oh, it's absolutely 
I love it so much. It's, it's so a great ending. Fun. Yeah. It's a really it is a great ending. It's a beautiful ending. And I, I think that's what makes it so great. It's just a great standalone film. It's just it, absolutely so well-rounded. Uh, you love everybody. You kind of get a feel for all the characters. Nobody really feels like they're under-edited in this one. It, it's perfect. Um, maybe I kind of wish there was more camera time of Hermione because I don't know if you yeah. knew this because you didn't read the books, but in the first book, there was another challenge they had to do to get to the Philosopher's Stone, which is the potion section. And I forgot they didn't have it in the movie. I was shocked because the potion section is, you know, Ron had the chess game to have oh, his time to right. shine. Yeah. And then Hermione had the potion section. All the potions, I believe, would kill you or paralyze you or something, except for one. One is the correct potion, which would then bring you to the next section. And Harry had no fucking clue. It was only Harry and Hermione at that yeah. point, because Ron did the chess tournament. Uh, so it was just those two standing in the room, and Hermione was able to look at all of them and figure out which one was the right potion. And then that's how Harry moved forward. It was like Hermione being like, oh, I'll stay back and look after Ron at the chess area. I was like, what? What are you doing? Like, Ron could, like, Ron's fine. You can go help Harry with the potions. I don't know what was going on, but I, I, I missed that moment. I, I kind of wished Hermione had her time to shine as well. Yeah. Uh, well, she's. Um... <laughs> She definitely corrected wrong on the it's Leviosa, not Leviosa. <laughs> yeah, she, she's great. Hermione is really fun in almost every movie. I feel like we haven't discussed her that much, but I love her. She's so much fun. She is my favorite character in all of the films. And I know I haven't really discussed her at all. I've been talking about Harry and all the side characters and the professors, but she is my favorite character. I love the way Emma Watson is basically a direct twin to Hermione. Like they're the same person. Yeah. I've seen interviews and I'm like, this is a perfect cast. I love how smart she is. I love how she doesn't take bullshit from anyone. And I love how, how much of a kind person she is, you know, in the heart. And she makes for an amazing friend. And she's a great addition to the trio that we all know and love and grow with, basically, throughout these movies. And it's really sweet that she started out so young, as did these other actors. And she basically, her childhood was filming these films. Yeah, You know, she grew up with the world and that's just incredible. You know, if you think about it, you grow up filming these movies and you grow up with these movies. That is, that is next level nostalgia right there, you know? <laughs> yeah, that is crazy to just grow up making a franchise. Yeah, that's just so cool. I don't know. It's, it's beautiful to me. Yeah, it is awesome that all of these actors just were able to do the whole franchise together. And they're all kids, and they all still agree to do every single one, and they really just grew, like we grew with them. There's something special about that. And first movies, I mean, this movie's just... Now we're talking about it, and I just want to put it on right now and watch it. <laughs> yeah, I it's guess I, I can't really make this statement wholeheartedly because I, I haven't done it, but I imagine this is the most rewatchable one. I, you know, I haven't seen any of these in 10 years until this month, but this is probably the one I would revisit first again. And it'd be one I would oh, probably watch the right. most. Yeah. You haven't, you haven't watched these in a while then. Oh, I watch them every year. And honestly, I catch new things. My opinions change. I guess it's depending on what mood I'm in, but yeah, you're right. I'm really happy I'm talking about Harry Potter with you. I'm having a blast, and um, I'm excited to talk about this last film, too. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about the last one, because I think, even though this is the shortest Harry Potter film, which is crazy to me, that this is the shortest one. That's insane one, to me. It's 
insane because so much happens and it's kind of oh, like in a sense it, it's kind of like goblet of fire where it doesn't stop for a fucking second and this movie is going but of course at the end at number one you know uh definitely hell's part one had to take a lot of the the work here to build this movie up and that's why it's at the bottom because at the top we have deathly hallows part two deathly hallows part two. Oh man this is like i think my number two what what's yours again yeah this is your number two this is my number one yeah okay i mean it could easily be number one yeah but prisoner of Azkaban, that's just something else so we'll, we'll talk about this as we love it equally um you can go ahead and start us off and then uh I'll probably agree with everything you have to say. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll say the. Let's just get straight to like the greatest moment in maybe any blockbuster, possibly any movie. I mean, maybe I won't go that far, but I would say this is probably my favorite scene in a blockbuster. I, I really do think that, and it is Snape's dying moment yeah. and his memory. Yep. It is absolutely incredible i watched this a month ago with my fiance who by the way watched this for the very first time she never seen this movie before and we have seen that moment three times since we would just be sitting around going you know what it's only it's only a couple minutes like it's five minutes let's throw it on right now on youtube and watch it like we've seen this scene a handful of times already and every time i think both of us are tearing up at the end of it it is a masterclass in filmmaking. It is one of the most emotional moments for a character, especially a side character like Snape, where we get the whole story arc really in a quick flashback of why he was doing everything, why he's been looking after Harry. Now he's secretly been this good guy the whole time. And it's just beautiful. It's really great. And it's haunting. By the time he says always, like I'm choking up. Uh, oh. the, the, the it's one word. It Not is even. one word. Don't even get me started. I'm already tearing up. <laughs> it's I know it, it's incredible. It is really really good. Um, I think the whole buildup is really great, but there's just something magical about it. In his last dying moment, he's looking at Harry and he's like, "Take this tear." He picks up the tear and some vial Hermione was carrying around for some reason, and then Snape, right before he leaves, says, "You really do have your mother's eyes," which is a thing that they mention in almost every movie. A lot. It is yeah. like a continuous thread. And on this rewatch, I noticed it, obviously. Like, I was realizing, oh, wow, they're mentioning this a lot. Andrew has no idea. But this is like a really great foreshadow to this amazing moment in the final movie. It's just so great. And then the final scene of that montage where he's telling Dumbledore, you're basically leading Harry like a lamb to the slaughter. Like, all of a sudden, it really yeah. feels like Snape cares more about Harry than Dumbledore. And it's that moment where you're kind of thinking, oh, wow, Snape has kind of been the real mentor for Harry and not Dumbledore. Like he never really realized how much Snape actually cares for him. And I do kind of love how he flicks his wand and the Patronus is the stage, or I guess the, the, the female deer similar to Harry's mother. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And Dumbledore is like, wait, that's Lily's like Dumbledore is like so clueless. It is really funny, but I love how Dumbledore has that moment of realization with us, the audience going, wait, yep you've cared about her all this time and he just goes always like it always. is haunting oh, it is it like my heart it's beautiful it is it's, it's phenomenal it's amazing i think the fact that they reveal all of this after snape dies makes it all the more heartbreaking right because harry doesn't get to have a moment with him to let him realize what he like to let him know how much he appreciates him or how much he loves him it, it's 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 tough 
literally so heartbreaking, but it's such a beautiful moment. And I agree with you 100% on that scene. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And the rest of the movie's great, too. But honestly, if this scene wasn't in it, I don't know if this would be number one. It may be like two or three. Like, like it's really great. But that scene is just a leaps and bounds. The absolute most, like, it's the best montage in any film. It's one of my favorite scenes in a movie. I, I, I'm obsessed with it. It is just so beautifully well done. It, it's, it's, it's incredible. It is. It's one of, I think it's one, one of my favorite scenes in the entire franchise, and I cheer up every time I watch it, and I really love... I, oh, God, there's so many scenes in this film that are just absolutely amazing, like the yeah. scene where they, they, that McGonagall puts the spell on the statues to come alive, and you have that song playing in the background, so epic. Oh, gosh, it's just... And she's just, like, really exciting, and just says, I've always wanted to use that spell. <laughs> I love that scene. And it's just really epic because this is when, this is it. This is the final showdown, and you're like, shit's about to go down. Oh, it's just crazy. I also the scene in which Harry, like right before Harry dies, when he's like reunited, like when he uses the resurrection stone and uses it to basically, you know, resurrect all his loved ones, talk to them one last time before he kind of sacrifices himself. I love that scene as well. It's so touching. You know, it's after all we've been through, you know, it's, it's just beautiful to look to, to experience, you know, as the audience. You have a lot of deaths in this one too. Like when one of the twins dies, I forget if it's Fred or George. I don't remember, which makes me a bad Harry Potter fan. Uh, they're, they're twins. No, I think you're fine. I think it's George, but I have no idea to be honest with you. It, it could be. It's that like, scene broke my heart. Like it's a Weasley, you know, it's so fucking sad. Yeah. It's such a beautiful movie. I, I, there's so many, it's a big uh, controversy. There's a lot of people who hate the way it ended because it's different from the books. I don't know what happened in the book, so I, I, I can't tell. But really? I really like the way it ends. Yeah. I think the only biggest difference I noticed, but once again, I haven't read the book since I was like 15. But the only difference I recall is the, the big final fight between Harry and Voldemort. In the movie, it's outside in the courtroom, and in the book, it's in the Great Hall. That's the... Yeah, uh, and then he's supposed to, since, I think, since he dissolves, Voldemort dissolves in the movie, and I think right. in the book, I've heard that he's supposed to die like a human. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Whatever. Yeah, but come on, him dissolving is so cinematic. Like, yeah, I guess it just it does it, make it sense. It reminds cool. me of the Thanos snap, you know? He just got, like, disappeared by It is like that, yeah, it really is. Maybe it's in the same world. Maybe Harry didn't kill him. It was just that exact moment. I think was it was when, the Thanos yeah. snap, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, that's when he snapped his fingers. Yep, exactly. No, this movie's just absolutely, like, like you just said, it does not stop. There's so much action and there's so much happening. And honestly, it's well overdue after a little boar fest we had in part one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it's just a wonderful way to conclude this epic franchise. And I have nostalgia for this film because I, th I saw it in theaters. But I didn't know what the hell was going on most of the time because I, I had not seen Order Phoenix, Half-Blood Prince, or part one. <sighs> so I'm a little behind. But that's okay. I mean, I, I ended up, ca like, catching up what was going to happen, you know, later. Like, I went back and I watched all the movies, and 
I had my friend explain to me what a horcrux was very, very fast and in a panic mode because she was like, I just want to watch the movie. Don't let me talk. No, I mean, I, I really love this movie. I understand why you have it in number one. It seems like you have a big passion for it. You have like your favorite scene in that one. I have it on number two because obviously I have my, my, my favorite movie is Prisoner of Azkaban right. for this one, but this is such a good one. It's so hard to dislike. It's so hard to place in the bottom half of, of a ranking. I love this one so much. It's, it's, there's so much going on for it. it it's, it's the epic finale. Like, what can you say? And they did a good job with it. They didn't screw it up. Like, it's really hard to get finales right. And to me, they didn't screw it up. They, they stuck the landing. It's a, it's, it's, it, it ends beautifully. I tear up every time because it ends. It has the same, the same song that ends the first film. The, second, uh, the last film also ends. It's called, I think the name of the track is called Leaving Hogwarts. And they play that in the end of the epilogue in um, Deathly Hallows Part 2. And, it's, and it parallels the ending of the first film. And I love that. I think that's wonderful and beautiful that they brought that theme back. It just reminds us that, hey, you know, it's over, but it's not really over. You know, this is just the beginning of a new era. And, you know, we're still here. I love that. I love it. Yeah. I love the epilogue as well. And really a lot of this film, I just think it is the perfect ending. And like you said, it's tough to really stick the landing. And I think very few blockbusters do. I think that a lot of the time they kind of, you know, maybe fall into their own massive weight of just all these expectations the fandom might have. I think a few blockbusters do excel. I think Endgame is a great example of just paying off all these great moments. And I think Harry Potter is another fantastic example. I think Deathly Hallows Part 2 has every character with their own little moment, like you said, McGonagall. I just love her little moment there. Neville has a stand; he faces off against oh, Voldemort. Oh, Neville's awesome! Yeah, such we a great moment. About Neville a lot, but yeah. yeah, yeah. There's just so many characters you kind of forget a few of them, but like he obviously Snape. It's tough. Yeah, Snape has a great moment in this as well. But like every little character has this nice moment. Lupin dying with the woman he loves. I think the Weasleys oh God, have some so great, yeah, too. so beautiful. I think, uh, you know, the Weasleys mother, I thought she had a great moment against Bellatrix. Like every character gets this little moment and there's just so many characters that they obviously can't be prominent in everything, but I like how they kind of pay off every character we know with this excellent, you know, a send off for all of them ending with the epilogue and we get to see Draco. He's now a father. He has this nice little moment with Harry as they look at each other across the train station. Yeah. I love that a lot. I really, really like, as you said, the epilogue reconnects to the very first film with the score, and it kind of is a new beginning for these new kids, and that's what I think makes Harry Potter so great, is it really just feels like these kids are going on an adventure. You, can, you watch the kids enter the train, and the movie ends, and you could theoretically throw on the first movie again, and you're it's basically just restarting the franchise. You're restarting the whole tale of kids entering uh, such a magical world and learning about, you know, growing up as adults and the wonders of magic. And I think the ending has that great tone to it, where it, it, it doesn't yeah. feel like an ending. It feels like to be the continued. Of yeah, exactly. So I love that a lot. I, I do think... You know, I love it, but it also is kind of hilarious that he named his kids Albus and Severus. Like, does Ginny have, like, any say in this? Does Ginny give a fuck about Severus Snape? Like, why would she say yes to this? I don't know. Like, poor Ginny. 
Yeah, that's kind of cheesy. Yeah, like, you know, maybe but... maybe you couldn't name one of the kids George who died in that battle. Jenny might have liked that more, but I don't know. <laughs> She's like, sure, we'll do Severus, who I think was kind of a bitch to her. I don't know why, you know. I guess Harry gets to name the kids, you know. That's a good relationship. I, I want to name all the kids that I have. Andrew gets no say. I should, I should, I should try that. <laughs> but I, yeah, it's I mean, still um, great. I mean, I had a... I always have a blast watching these films. And the main reason why I guess it works so well is because the, the last movie is just so great. You, 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 it's working towards something that's just incredible. And the finale is just, it, it, it's satisfying and it's kind of well-rounded. And it just, like you said, it's not the ending. It's a new beginning. And I really love it. And yeah, I mean, it's very fitting that we finish this, podcast with the last film you get me it's like we've been talking about the franchise out of order but then it ends with you know the last film like part two <laughs> yeah it, it's literally the ending of the franchise and the ending of this podcast it's a good way to end, so end this chapter <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i think that's very funny yeah i like what you said how the ending is a huge reason why I think this franchise is still so rewatchable and why maybe this fandom is still so strong because it ends on such a strong note. Like, I loved Game of Thrones, but I have not rewatched oh, it since. Man. Yeah, since the end, I haven't rewatched I, it. I don't even like you. T you just said that, and I just automatically got in a bad mood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of the ending is it ruined it. Yeah, the ending ruined it, man. Yeah. I can't bring myself yeah. to watch it ever again. I've yeah, I know, and I I rewatched the first six seasons. I think like two or three times before the final Me season. Too. Like I I loved yeah. it, and I haven't seen it since, and it's because. You know, like Harry Potter, Philosopher's Stone, you need to have a great start, but it really, you really need the perfect ending to make this franchise feel like you want to continue rewatching them years and years later. Uh, and, you know, kind of like on the flip side, like Breaking Bad, I think the ending is perfect, and I see it once a year. I, I watch Breaking Bad once a year. I don't rewatch Game of Thrones once a year. Like, you really need the, the perfect ending, and I think Harry Potter kills it. It's probably, well, I think it's, I think it'd be my top five, definitely top 10 blockbusters of all time. Like, I think Deathly Hallows Part 2 is just incredible. But I think uh, it has seven movies to build off of to really pay it off. It's short. It's exceptional. Uh, it's just, it's, it's magic. I'm impressed they were able to make the ending so great. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, I forgot to mention that uh, I know they brought back... Um, Alexandra Desplat to uh, compose this last movie. And it's interesting that he has, I, it's fantastic. I love the score for this movie. It's epic. It's, it's, it's dark. It's intense. And it, it's very fitting for, you know, the tone they were going for. But they use, it's interesting that they use this song called Dumbledore's Farewell, which plays when Dumbledore dies in half-blood prince and they use that song towards the end of the state montage to give it an even like more intense and and kind of melancholy feel to it and it's wow. just oh it's it breaks my heart it's wonderful and I, I'm, I'm you know i'm a big music person yeah. so catching all these musical cues it's just even more to, it means even more to me you know so that's awesome. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, I, I'm so musically challenged. Like, I, 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 I wouldn't have never picked stuff like that up. Uh, you know, the iconic score is like the entering Hogwarts. Like that, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I can get that. But uh, the other stuff, 
you're right. I, I would have never noticed that they were both similar, but it really helps make the ending of that montage have such a somber feeling to it. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Somber. That's that's the word I was looking for. I said melancholy instead, but the somber, that's 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 a good word to describe it for sure. So so that's everything for Harry Potter. We just discussed all eight of the films. It was, it was great having you on here. I, I had a great time talking about Harry Potter. You know, uh, it was great to revisit really my childhood. Like the, these are the movies I grew up with and fell in love. So it was it was great to have an excuse to rewatch them. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I always want to have an excuse to talk about Harry Potter, so this was a lot of fun. Now, uh, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go watch them all over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, it does make me want to watch. I think I'm going to revisit the first one maybe later this week. I do. Kind of, I, I kind of just want to dip my toes back in this world. It, it's awesome. I agree with you 100. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I'm totally in the mood for them now because we've just talked about them for an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. So is there anything that you want to plug? Uh, anything uh, where people can check you out? Oh, yeah, I'm on Letterboxd and I'm on Instagram. I think I have the same username for both. Do I say my username? It's at Sophia Planos. Give me a follow. Drop a like or a comment on something. <laughs> I'll be sure to reach out if you guys want to check me out. <laughs> I think your reviews on Layerbox are great, so definitely check out uh, at Sophia Planos. That is everything. Have a fantastic day, guys, and see you later.